show is a live broadcast of truth seekers and believers, empowering the evolution of consciousness. Raphael and Celeste will dive deeper than the mainstream media while answering the mind's deeper questions and transforming conversations. They will have unique guest speakers who will share knowledge, tools, and techniques to create coherence in our mind, body, and spirit. Good morning from New York. And good evening from Queensland, Australia. How are you doing? Oh, I wore my glitter sparkle today. <laughs> I love it. Just to put that extra shine onto everything because life is good. Life is really good. It is. But life is good if we make it that, isn't it? Here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited for today because we have a special guest coming on shortly. And we're going to talk about culture, right? When we think about the world, there are so many different cultures, so many different ways that we can insult somebody even <laughs> because we may not understand their culture, right? So it's that understanding of culture, um, you know, the way we even say hi to somebody, the way we say goodbye, the way we enter someone's home, all these, even in business, how we even greet someone in a business situation, all these different things we need to take into account wherever we are in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember moving from Europe to Australia and we were so used to being quite affectionate when you meet someone, you go, mwah, mwah, and you really go very close to someone that you've just met and kiss on both sides. Mm. Now, that didn't come across the same way in Australia. And I really had to learn to, as they say, back off and not kiss <laughs> everyone that I'm meeting. So unfortunately, nearly after 15 years being here, I don't kiss people anymore when I meet them. So because Aww. it's just here but when i go back to europe i do it <laughs> as an example <laughs> you know it's um it's it's a very friendly approach but if you're not used to it and you're meeting a stranger all of a sudden you're like whoa mm. we just met right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we do have our special guest today is nicholas kemp and he has not only lived in this particular culture that we're going to talk about, but he knows a lot about it, right? We're talking about Japan, right? His wife is Japanese, so his kids, he doesn't know it, but they're Japanese. So I'm just kidding. Of course he knows it. They're his kids, right? So Nicholas Kemp is joining us. Nicholas, thank you so much for being here today. How are you, my friend? I'm well, Raphael. Thank you so much for having me, and it's lovely to meet Celeste. So... Nice to meet you. Yes, absolutely. So, and hello to Melbourne, right? Sorry. Cold Melbourne. You can see I've got a very long, this is this is actually uh, sunproof sort of wear and you, you normally you'd wear it on a hot day, but I'm wearing mm. it because it's cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, cold Melbourne weather, believe it, at the end of spring, but life throws us little reminders to, to be grateful. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and I am wearing my Oriental shirt. Oh, and nice. Celeste said to me, on both sides, by the way, and Celeste said to me, what does that say? And I said, well, I have no idea, but it looks <laughs> really cool. I think one character is for male. So Which one? The, the, the one that's got the box. 
So it's I got gotcha. okay. Hatake, which is um, field, and then it has Chikara underneath. And the other one looks familiar, but <laughs> I cannot read that. Okay. But it might be done something. Mm. Done say, done. I, I can't read it. <laughs> I'm a dominant male. That's it. <laughs> I love Maybe it. I thought it was the the alpha male. <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about um, how long have you, did you live in Japan? I know you, your, your family was just there and they came back, right? Yes. I, I was looking after the cat. Um, <laughs> so that was yeah, a bit disappointing. But the, yeah, that was more of a family trip. My, my wife really needed to go back and catch up with family after not being able to go back. We, we were going to go back two years ago, just before mm -hmm. COVID started. So, but a, a few aunts died and um, there's some family issues. Mm. So it wasn't, probably wasn't best that I went, but to answer your question, I've lived in Japan for a total. I had, oh, I have, yeah, lived in Japan for a total of 10 years, mm. um, about four in Tokyo and, and six where my wife's from. My wife's from a, a very small village. That's actually famous for pottery. So her, my father-in-law, her father is a master potter and he makes um, matcha jawan, which are tea ceremony bowls um, in a specific style called shinoyaki. So, yeah, I was sort of exposed to, you know, the modern exciting culture of Tokyo and the small town living, mm. or living, <laughs> Of Japan, so um, yeah, it's kind of strange to re reflect on it. It almost feels like was I ever really there? It it, it seems so bizarre at some time. <laughs> well, let let me ask you a question, and you brought it up, right? Tea tea ceremonies, right? I, I know that they are very elaborate for the most part, right? And it probably doesn't matter. Does it matter? Is there different types of tea ceremonies throughout Japan? Well, I'm not really qualified to talk about tea ceremonies. What I do know, okay. I did speak to a, on, on my podcast, I did speak to a master, C, uh, I guess a qualified, uh, what would you call them? A tea ceremony is called chado. So as you would know in martial arts, do like judo or kudo so mm -hmm. archery so the way and there is also it's either called chado or sado and so again it, it's it's it is a art and there's um obviously set practices and certain ways to behave during a tea ceremony um, the, the person i spoke to he actually said tea ceremony is not an accurate translation it's not really mm. a ceremony it's really just a, a host and a guest coming together to to have a quite a unique um experience mm. i've done it only once at a a friend's house that was done fairly informally what i can say people practice tea ceremonies far less often it's it's typical of a lot of Japanese culture, unfortunately, just with technology and, and change. Uh, unfortunately, I guess young Japanese aren't interested in these practices. Mm. Um, 
But I, I have seen documentaries where the process can last up to four hours in some wow. cases. So um, there's certain type of ceremonies. Some ceremonies can actually include food, and it's very nonverbal. There are certain cues that both the guest and the host know, and, of course, there are lots of uh, strict, uh, almost like kata, like strict behaviour where there's bowing, there are mm. set expressions, and, yeah, I mean, the whole philosophy of tea is to enjoy the moment, um, a lot of simplification, there's... Um, all the implements and tools used in tea ceremony are, are very basic and bare and have their own beauty. Um, so the idea of tea is to um, almost confine you because a lot of tea houses used to be very small and mm. entry into them was quite difficult. You'd have oh. to almost crawl into them to show, I guess, to show respect and there would be no, very few decorations, maybe... Um, one hanging scroll and maybe one one flower and then yeah you'd patiently wait for tea to be served um, mm. and you've got to be very good at um kneeling so with your martial arts training <laughs> you might you might be comfortable but right, when you're right. a foreigner <laughs> and you're kneeling on tatami and yeah, sort of 20 minutes in thinking oh my my, my feet are frozen <laughs> it's it's quite um it's quite interesting. And the, the person I spoke to, um, this Canadian who lives in Japan, Randy, he allows guests to sit on a chair to to enjoy the tea ceremony more. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's all I know, really. There's there's one type of tea which I've wanted to try, and it's koicha. And, and koi means thick or rich or, or dark or deep. And it's basically when they put tons of tea powder and make an incredibly thick tea, mm. it almost looks like, you know, tar. It's so thick. Mm. So I think if you drank that, you'd be wired for <laughs> 48 hours on uh, matcha. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, w one of the things that I got from, from the tea ceremony or tea, I guess, um, when you, you talked about that, when we talked about community at one time or another, even in our show, when it's people coming together, right? And I guess, I guess the kneeling is part of the suffering, if you will. <laughs> That's what I'm looking at. Because to be uncomfortable and show that you're not, there's some power in that. <laughs> so you, you're yeah. both being submissive in a way mm. where you're going, yeah, I'm really uncomfortable, but I'm going to make it look like I'm not. <laughs> right. So that's good that your friend allows seating. Celeste, I'm mm. sure you have a thousand and Celeste is amazing. You, you probably have a thousand questions for Nick. So um, go for it. I, I know you do. I know, and I do. I love the way we just started this with the tea ceremony because it's it really is bringing back people into the presence. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I have my little black one here, <laughs> and uh, with green tea actually, because I, I just have 
Whatever. Yeah. Because I can't drink coffee always in the evening just for the, the seer show. Otherwise, I'll be awake all night. So <laughs> the green tea really helps me to still sparkle my, my brains up. And um, But going back into this purpose of tea, you know, it, it, it brings us back to being patient with the people around us and mm. listening letting every person speak and as you just said it takes resilience to sometimes be uncomfortable mm. but still be there still be present still bring out the honor and the respect that is maybe the subject of matter on that day and we look at our society right now iphones ipods i mean you know we're so busy and when's the last time you've really sat down and just had a cup of tea mm. without interference? So I think with bringing and opening up the Japanese culture to us would have a lot of benefits because it's just teaching us just to be calm within your tribe, listen and show that respect and honor, which I think oh. is very beautiful. Now, Nick, I have lots of questions because I know you wrote an amazing book. And uh, if I may please bring it up. So with the Ikigai, I was introduced for it, to it many years ago. And I remember actually going through what my mission is, what the purpose is and all of that. And I'm very excited to hear it from you again now in 2022 because I've read a little bit and you said, there is a misunderstanding that so what tell us about the book and tell us why you see that some people have a maybe a misinformation or where, where where does that statement come from sure uh, yeah thank you for the opportunity to talk about the book so that the book in a way was inspired by the misinformation that's hmm. that's on the web and I think if most people know Ikigai, they, they probably understand it as a, a four-circle Venn diagram. Mm. And it's a very inspiring Venn diagram. And it asks you, are you doing something that you love, that you're good at, that the world needs, and that you can be paid for? And, I mean, the only way to really put it is to say that is not Ikigai. It has nothing to do with Ikigai. It's actually may I bring, may I bring one example up yeah, that yeah, I found? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to show the audience what I typed in to see what most people see on Google, and then you can actually go no sure. or yes because yeah. this is what mainstream media is is showing, right? So this is what the most people would see. So tell us all, Nick. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. I've actually interviewed the person who merged the two concepts and the person who created this specific version. So there are... There's a whole history to this, and it's quite hard to say who actually made the Venn diagram because there have been different variations going back almost 20 years. And I think there's even just a three-circle variation where the the money aspect is not really articulated. Um, so basically what happened is this was floating around as the purpose Venn diagram, and if people Google purpose Venn diagram, they'll see the same Venn diagram with purpose in the middle. And then one day, a, a, a friend of mine um, happened to watch a TED Talk on the Blue Zones. So the Blue Zones are those five areas famous for longevity. And one of those Blue Zones um, 
was actually isn't a blue zone anymore, but was Okinawa. So where you have this high concentration of centenarians. And so Dan Butner, who was a, a national or is a national geographic fellow, and he's an expert on longevity, he went to all these blue zones, including Okinawa, to study, you know, what are they doing? How are they living so long, et cetera, their lifestyle habits. I anyway, <laughs> he gave this, uh, gave this um, TED talk and briefly mentioned these five blue zones and said, oh, in Okinawa, they, they grow their own vegetables, they largely eat a, a vegan diet, they're strong social bonds, um, they're always moving, and they have this word that imbues their life called ikigai, and it, it's the reason why you get up in the morning. So his speech was very inspiring, mm -hmm. and this uh, friend of mine, I, I'll call him a friend of mine, Mark, he just thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to take ikigai and merge it with the Venn diagram. And he told me this on a podcast. And for him, it took less than an hour. And it was almost just like an inspirational thought and, and nothing more than that. And so he wrote a blog post. He put the, he had someone make a graphic. He replaced purpose with Ikigai. And it didn't get picked up straight away. I think it took maybe six months or a year, but then it went viral. And <laughs> it's inspired, you know, books, coaching programs, documentaries, and it's just um, <laughs> factually incorrect. So wow. for me, the, the story is interesting because when I went to Japan in 1998, I was on a lunch break and a co-worker, Japanese co-worker, casually asked me, Onik, what's your guy in Japanese? And at that time, I, I didn't know what the word meant. And so I was like, oh, what's Ikigai? And she was, gave me this very inspiring explanation. And it sort of involved purpose and the reason why you battle on through life. And I was, yeah, I was like, wow, you have one word to articulate that? So I remember it being very inspiring. I, mm. I, could, I could take you back to the, the spot where she asked me. It was, I have this vivid um, memory of it. So, yeah, 20 years later when I saw the Venn diagram, I was like, that's, I remember that word, but <laughs> mm. Japanese would never define any word like that. So, yeah, and so that actually inspired me to eventually research it and, and dive back into learning Japanese and, and reading, and, and then I started speaking to researchers. Um, so it usually is the starting point. Most people who know Ikigai relate it to that Venn diagram. And, you know, the Venn diagram's inspiring and can be helpful. It's just not a guy. <laughs> so it's amazing what can happen from someone's creative idea. And, mm. you know, and on social media, just like that. Yeah. yeah so, so if it's on Google, it must be right. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why I wanted to show that picture as well, because that's if you type that in, that's the first patterns that come, which means most people would see that. Yeah. So with the book, can you tell us more than about what is in there and what they can discover? Sure. So Ikigai is, the best way to understand Ikigai is it's something you feel and the, the kanji in the middle of the book is actually khan, and that means feeling, uh, perception, awareness, emotion. 
And so I wanted to highlight that Ikigai is something you feel, and that's why the, the tagline is feel a life worth living. So it's it's about the things in your life, the relationships, the people, the hobbies, the even the struggles that you overcome that make you feel that life is worth living. Also, the, the title is um, to recognize someone I like to describe as the mother of Ikigai. This is a lady called Miko Kamiya, who was really Japan's first research pioneer. And I think if we talk about philosophy or psychology, we often hear the term the fathers of or the founding fathers of positive mm. psychology. Right. And women are clearly underrepresented. But she really was Japan's research pioneer. And I wanted to recognize her. And the sort of the this framework on the back was inspired by her research. She discovered that were there were essentially seven or eight ikigai needs you needed to satisfy and in order to feel ikigai and they were things like life satisfaction change and growth a bright future social affiliation uh, freedom self-actualization meaning and value and a sense of purpose and that really speaks to me like positive psychology so she oh, was sort absolutely. of 35 years ahead of the positive psychology movement so i think she deserves some recognition rather than <laughs> some fun guy who accidentally you know created the venn diagram because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my next question because i find that really interesting where you go into the life of worthy living and it is the eight needs mm. and those yeah. were the ones you were just talking can we elaborate a little bit into sure. them because yeah. i find yeah i'm really quite beautiful yeah, so when I was reading her work, I was like, oh, wow, she's identified these needs. And she, she actually identified them through um, interviewing and studying lepers. So this goes back to the 1960s, and lepers in Japan were ostracized. They were shipped off to islands, um, and they, they, they had all their basic needs met, but obviously they didn't have a, a very enjoyable life. Um, they had... Mm disfiguring disease some didn't have fingers some were blind and yeah for some reason she had this desire to to learn about them but also in general learn about you know what what does make life worth living mm. so she spent quite a bit of time um, interviewing and she, she was already a psychiatrist and an uh, associate professor at this stage. So she was already academically very successful, but she had this desire to, to write. And part of interviewing these lepers was her probably her long-term plan to write, write a book, but before she could do that, she needed to get full professorship and do a dissertation. So, yeah, she found out there were these seven ikigai needs and also she stated that to feel ikigai at the highest level, you would need to have either a strong sense of purpose or a personal mission. So I kind of wrap it up as eight ikigai needs. But, yeah, the, I guess the fundamental need is life satisfaction. Mm. And this one's interesting because it kind of contrasts with happiness. And I think... In our culture, we, we value or we overvalue happiness almost as the be-all and end-all to the point 
we're constantly thinking, oh, I should always be happy. And <laughs> that's just not realistic. But life satisfaction, that's, that's possible, I think, every day we can be grateful and we can achieve some sort of life satisfaction. Just, again, like being present, being present to what you have, whether it's a drink, a friendship, food, music, your hobbies. Um, and she described it's the things in your life that make you feel that your life is moving forward, um, give you this sense of life satisfaction. And then that ties to the next Ikigai need, which is change and growth. And mm. so <laughs> if you've got a friend who says, you know, life's boring or I'm bored, um, you know, encourage them to, to change, to embrace change, to learn something new and to grow. And she described boredom as just a, a poor, men, a, a poor, not a mental health state, but just a poor mental state where you're stagnant. And we, we know the world is ephemeral. We know everything constantly changes. So we should embrace change and as a result, grow. And then tied to that, they all seem to tie together, but tied to that and her significant contribution to defining Ikigai was also this idea of a bright future. So even if we're struggling with life now, I mean, for example, the last two years for a lot of people, it's been a real struggle. We've been confined to our homes. We haven't been able to travel, connect with people. But I'm sure many of us have believed that eventually I'll catch up with my family or friends. Mm. And that's that's helped you get through those hard times. So if you have this bright future, even if you're struggling, you can feel Ikigai in the moment because you have something either to look forward to or you have perhaps a goal to, walk, uh, to work towards. Yes. You know, Nick, you, you just mentioned uh, that we're in an ever-changing world, right? And we're always looking for growth. And it made me think of something you even said earlier about the young people, how they're not even doing tea ceremonies anymore, right? And I, I know you said it's uh, saying ceremony is not necessarily the correct way, but that's I think that's the best way we know how. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so w when we think about are they losing tradition or are they changing tradition, right? Because if we are in an ever-changing world, right, we are not necessarily seeing the world we, as the people in the, say, 1920s saw it, right, or even the people in the 1800s saw it. So we are evolving, but so is so must culture mm. in a way, right? So that that's very, you know, it, it makes me think deeper into who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. Right? Where where do we go, Celeste? Where do we go from here? You know, is it important? I think family is extremely important. I think that having values of um, respecting one another, right? Um, whether it's in, in a family setting, in a business setting, in a friendship, it's the way we treat other people. And I think that's where we are losing that battle. Mm -hmm. 
because of technology somewhat because people are and you've seen you've probably seen a thousand and you can google this right you've seen a thousand people sitting at a family dinner and no one is communicating except they're on their phones yeah and yeah. i was at a family function once and there were some teenagers and they were at the table and they were laughing but <laughs> they were communicating through their phones oh yeah 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 which right but think about it they were still communicating but they were communicating without the verbal they were just texting each other and they were laughing mm. they were having a great time who knows they might have been talking about the adults in the room but <laughs> right that's maybe that's why they were laughing but they were still communicating and mm. even though they were communicating they're not communicating the way we would think is more in touch but to them they were in touch yes so it's, it's that, that shift that we have to think about right mm. yeah, this well, is a better point mm. i was just going to say you know we were just talking about respecting people and i've read so much about japan where children and teenagers are actually raised so differently to respect the elders to the point where seven-year-old kids take their own transport they're allowed to walk the streets because it's extremely safe in japan mm. i mean the crime rate is really low i think the police officers don't even wear guns in in most areas not like america um and bulletproof vests and, mm -hmm. and grenades and right so, so th this is the thing i think this is the this i'll give you an example we had a show in one of our theaters and it was 80 children backstage and there was silence and everyone was aligned and had their their costumes and every time you approached them they would give you eye contact mm. i was like how did they do this how do and then i really started talking to the japanese teacher she goes no 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 they're japanese children this is how we are with each other and they are grateful to be in a theater mm -hmm. and they're grateful to do their traditional dancing and they are simply um also respectful to teachers and and because you're older i'm like thank you but you know <laughs> you're, you're basically being respected for that and and then as you just said then you have here we on a family table and they're texting each other probably making jokes about grandma's new wig you mm. know so i i'd hope to see and especially with this episode let's bring back our knowledge of beautiful traditions because i i understand we have to grow and develop but there are some traditions that keep families together mm -hmm. or you're very busy the whole year but there's this one day where you put all your <laughs> things to the side and you do the tradition and so yeah there's that's that's i think it's a beautiful part to mention about the the japanese lifestyle yeah yeah i can certainly add a, a few things to that uh, i mean going back to change in general look i, I think even all, all countries are changing so i remember being a child playing street cricket and riding my bike and I don't see that anywhere. Like, I, I just don't hear kids playing outside or riding their bikes anymore. And I, I've got an 18-year-old, and the way he socialises is <laughs> through, 
through the computer <laughs> or on the phone. And, you know, my wife and I decided not to give him a phone until high school. And we mm. kind of thought we're doing the right thing. And, you know, I think it was six months into high school, we still hadn't purchased him a phone. And, you know, he was being left out. And, mm. you know, we had this challenging situation like, all right, well, we'll, we'll get you a phone, but, you know, you can't use it after this certain time. And that became a source of conflict. And so in the end we thought, well, we're just going to have to trust him with the phone. Mm. And so we just gave it to him. And it really didn't, <laughs> you know, those, those years of him not having a phone really didn't seem to matter because it's in a highly addictive, you know, device and it's, oh. it's designed to, to keep you attached to it. So that's that's sort of a thing every, every country's being challenged by. Um, I mean, one thing I try to do in the book is be honest about Japan, and it, it certainly has a beautiful culture, and we can learn a lot, obviously, from the way they do things, um, how they're very group-oriented, they're very respectful, but they also have a lot of problems too. Mm -hmm. And one problem is a form of extreme social withdrawal called hikikomori, and this is where young men basically decide, I'm not going to school, I'm not going to work and they just lock themselves in their bedroom so they live with their family. This has been going on since the 80s and you have cases where men have stayed basically inside their bedroom for 10, 20 years mm. and don't have any participation in society. And the reason why they don't want to is because Japan can be quite a hard society to live in. Um, there's high expectations to do well at, at school. Then if you get through school and you get a job, then there's high expectations to do, you know, to work hard, to mm. to meet all these um, social norms or con conform to society. And it's, you know, it's not easy. And yeah, a lot of men now or teenagers just say, I'd rather not participate. And so, yeah, I think technology has allowed them to do that because they, they either play games or they spend um, time on the internet. And the number of people who do this is, is quite um, it's, it's shocking. It's at least 2 million. Mm. And the expert on this who's studied it for you know, 20, 30 years, believes it could go as high as 10 million and within this problem there's something called the 50 80 problem and so what it means is you have men who are now almost 50 who have been hikikomori so we're talking 30 years and they have parents or a parent who's 80 and needs care and so you have a adult male usually it's it's always men who are incapable of yeah. yeah, incapable what? of looking after their parent. And this, yeah, Japan's facing all these unique social problems, um, which, yeah, is quite upsetting for such a, a beautiful culture. But there is there is a side to Japan most people don't see. And, you know, it would be, I love Japan, I love the people, but I often think, oh, I, I don't know if I'd want to be Japanese because... I guess from a, a Western perspective, because it's pretty, it can be pretty hard. 
um, the expectations, you, right? Expectations. It's, it's high expectations. You know, yeah. one of the things that, you know, you had me thinking when I had a visual of like, imagine if I had my sons or I have two boys, they're 18 and 21. If they lock themselves up in their room, right? If you stop feeding them, they'll eventually have to come <laughs> out. That was my thought. And well, Celeste that's... is over there going, wait a minute, I got teenagers in my house. That's never going to happen, right? Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And that does highlight something that's I've always probably had kind of struggled to understand is I think, yeah, a, a Western parent would, after a day or two days, would just drag their child out and say, yeah. you know, what's going on? Right. Let's talk. And if, if we couldn't help, we'd seek help. Right. But we would not um, feed the problem. Um, and that's, I think that's what happens in Japan. It's a sort of a very passive approach. We'll, we'll just let them be for a while. Mm. Day turns to a week, a week turns to a month, months turns to years. Mm. And there's not a lot of social support for this problem. And then you basically... You have these parents saying, well, all I can do is leave food, you mm. know, at the door. Right. And you hear these shocking stories. Like a mother says, I hadn't seen him for years. And when I did, you know, he had long hair and I know he's up. I know he's okay because I can hear him moving up, you know, wow. in his bedroom. And that's just incomprehensible for us because we'd think, well, you know, we'd just go in there and say, right, we're, we're getting you help. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's a big cultural difference. Um, it also might be a bit shameful. So maybe if, if I was having a problem with my son, I'd talk to someone for advice or I'd just talk to get off, off my chest where in Japanese they'd, they'd probably hide it out of fear of being judged. I, I was going to ask that because when I was talking to this teacher, she was also explaining to me that they teach children to actually not show suffering or not show that they're nervous or feel pressured. Uh, they have to carry their own instruments onto stage if it was heavy or not, because that's your responsibility. And she really emphasized that Japanese people don't express so much their worries and their concerns or their inner suffering. What does that mean, though, in, in general? I mean, I, I'm trying to sort of figure out, well, in, in, in general, this planet, if we would all communicate more and share more huh? mm. how we feel we could learn from each other. That, that's a good point. And there is a social dynamic in Japan where children are encouraged not to cause trouble or not to be a burden. And that, that can be you know, helpful, helpful for backstage, but yeah. not for life. <laughs> it's very helpful in a group culture where the idea is that everyone to, to be in harmony um, and to sort of fit in. And there is a word I remember learning and um, one day hearing in a context that really shocked me. So there's a, an, an expression called uh, meiwaku kakenaire. Meiwaku means, you know, trouble or inconvenience and, and kakeru means to cause. So kakenaire is the negative sort of command form, meaning don't cause trouble. Mm. And I remember I was, my, my son was born in Japan and he spent 
his first year, his first year of education was this, the equivalent of kinder. And he was adorable. I mean, look at him. This is when he went to school in Australia. But mm. imagine him a few years younger. He was just so adorable. So I'd be holding his little hands and giving him hugs and have a good day today, buddy. And it was so hard to say goodbye every day because he's just so adorable. And then <laughs> I remember one day I'm, I'm sort of doing my routine of saying goodbye and I noticed, you know, all the kids were in line and then I noticed this father was sort of standing next to me smoking a cigarette and he looked down at his daughter and just said, as a parting uh, greeting, or not a greeting, but his parting words were, don't cause trouble today. Mm. <laughs> and I was quite shocked because I, I never really heard it in that context. And I mm. wanted to kind of slap the cigarette out of his hand and say, right. what, are you, you know, what are you talking? What are, what are you wow. saying? That's your beautiful daughter. Right. But in that context, it, it probably would translate to, you know, be good today. It's just, mm. it just sounds, you know. Rough, rough. Rough, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe he was being a bit rough. Um, so from a very young age, you know, Japanese children are told you, you know, don't cause trouble, fit in, be good. And, um, yeah, that idea of not showing emotion Nick, you know, one of the things that, that it just, it just, you just showed me is that not all dads are nurturing, right? Mothers are more nurturing, right? And when there's a guy like you and a guy like me who are nurturing, the other parents look at us like, so wimpy yeah they're so why well, they're so wimpy with their kids right because i was the same way you know i'm i'm a very affectionate type of guy i love to hug and yes celeste i love to kiss hug and kiss when i meet somebody that's me i'm a hugger right i'm a very affectionate person and it probably is because i didn't have the affection when i was a child i really didn't um it, i was never really told as a child hey I love you or lots of hugs. I didn't have that. So I seek it now for myself, right? Because <laughs> it's, it, it's such a it's, uh, yeah, group hug. It's such a great feeling to have that personal connection, right? To have that empathy. You know, when, when you're leaving your child or when you're leaving a loved one and you go, you know, I, I want to wish you an amazing rest of your day. Not like, you know, like if you're not nurturing, all you're going to do is like, hey, I don't want to I don't want to hear that you got in trouble. I don't want to hear this nonsense because then you're going to disrupt my day. Right. So that's I think that's where the difference comes in, where we are a nurturing and, and you have both moms and dads. There's some moms who are not nurturing either. Um, my mom was not necessarily nurturing. That's why I didn't have the affection um, that I I maybe should have had but i am who i am today because of mm. my the way i was brought up right so when we think about culture we also have to think about the home culture compared to what is seen on the outside because when you said you know there's this culture that's that's happening in japan and maybe the parents, they're embarrassed. And that's why they won't tell anyone 
about, yeah, I got my 23-year-old who won't come out of his room for the last month mm. Be- because it's that embarrassment, right? Instead of that seeking help. Help, mm. You know, so I, I think it's it's that upbringing that that, if you will, thinking of am I ashamed, right? So it's it's working into just being honest, right, with with, with not only ourselves but with society, because a lot of us, you know, wear a different facade when we go somewhere else, right? We even tell our children, you have to behave this way mm-hmm. when we're in public, or you have to behave this way when we're in a restaurant. When, when I used to take my kids out to a restaurant, I felt, me personally, this is just me, right? If I took my kids to a restaurant, I don't care if they were two, three, seven, it didn't matter, and they were being disruptive, I would pick them up and take them outside of the restaurant because other people were there to enjoy their meal, mm. not to hear my kid screaming and crying. And all. so I would literally take my child, pick him up. Now, my ex-wife did. She would have left him there crying. And, you know, <laughs> but I would pick them up and I would walk outside the restaurant until they stopped crying. And if my son had a temper tantrum, which my youngest one used to not anymore, but he used to have a temper tantrum. I would literally take him outside the restaurant. I said, we're not going back in until you chill out, you Mm -hmm. calm down. And the other thing is we have to understand that if we're taking a child into a different environment, they're not going to sit for three hours in a chair. So I used to bring, I, I, I was Mr. Mom, right? I used to bring all this activities. I used to bring coloring books, toys, all these different things when we went in a social gathering so that they would feel more comfortable so they would not necessarily disrupt the situation for other people. Because if you guys were sitting there, let's say you're there on a date, right? And for some reason, I decided to go to this nice restaurant with my children, my family, (laughs) <laughs> and you're trying to talk to your new date and you have these kids over there screaming, uh, mm. you know, what is that going to make you feel like? You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to come to this restaurant anymore because there's a, a table over there with a bunch of kids screaming and one over here. And then there's kids running around the tables, which used to drive me nuts. And one time, and I don't want to keep rambling on this, but one time I was, <laughs> I was with family, right? And it was my ex-wife's sister's kids were running in the restaurant back and forth and my kid was like looking and he was like looking at his mom and she's like yeah and I was like I don't think so you're not (laughs) running this is not a place for you to run this is not a playground this is a restaurant we have to have respect and those kids you know when they stopped running it must have been 20 minutes after they crashed into a patron Somebody was dinner eating dinner and they crashed into the person. And I was like, that's why my kids never run. And can (laughs) I be honest with you? Whenever they invited us out to dinner, unless it was their home, if it was a restaurant, I was like, I'm not going. going." (laughs) You know, but on on a very positive note, then 
be when you grow up in Japan, you then actually see adults who are very disciplined, yes. usually very educated and well behaved, not just because they're adults, but because they know when to unpack the mannerisms mm. and their body language and their words and everything from from you know what subjects to speak about with with, with other people. And so that's a very positive side because as you just said some other cultures we've got kids running around because mm. it's not in our culture to go no you got to calm yourself so that's a very positive reflection and all the japanese friends i have first of all they're all very very intelligent all of them speak multiple language they're very disciplined most of them do a lot of Discipline, fitness, up at six o'clock in the morning, mm. and and I do really appreciate a lot of their attitudes. As you said, they have a purpose to wake up in the morning, mm. and they're very into this is my goal, this is my mission, this is my purpose, this is why I'm alive. Because if not, I'll just lock myself up in the room. <laughs> and um, so I do really treasure that, and and I know, and I know. Um, you were mentioning before that, that that frame that I showed is is not the right one. But I, I actually remember looking at that years ago and actually going through what's my mission, what's the purpose. Uh, and I was very lucky at the time to go, oh, I actually make money with what I really am good at. And it is important for the world. So things like that are really, really positive because mm. those just kids are not going to run around the, the restaurant right so that we have to really also <laughs> see that and talking about seeking help we we sorry to just to go back to that and i, I really because we're running out of time and nick i really want to get people to understand why you wrote the book and why they should read it so their kids don't run around tables yeah <laughs> right so what are good what, what what is really read this book because I think you should read them. Oh, you don't have to read the book, but reading the book exposes you to a, a different culture and a different way of thinking. And perhaps you can learn there is a, a different way to understand and appreciate life. And even what we just touched on now, the idea of how, how do you behave in society or how mm. do you behave around others? Japanese are highly aware of social context and so that's that's why we we understand and appreciate their behavior and this will sound strange but they actually have a social it's almost a social virtue where they they do put on a mask it, there's an expression called honne tatemaya honne is your true sound tatemaya is a mask you put on hmm. and so we'd almost say it's like being two-faced and we'd, we'd look down on that. We'd sort of say, oh, no, you should always try to be your authentic self. But mm. in Japanese culture, so that society can function, they do almost, I mean, we all play roles. And so they, they have this expression to articulate when they go out in society, they go to their job, even with friends to some degree, they're, they're putting on a face so that there's harmony. So the book articulates all these ideas that might sound very strange or um, unusual, but we can learn a lot from Japanese culture and, of course, yes. any other culture. So the, the book is really um, was my desire to express Ikigai on a very deep level and I had a lot of help 
um, I was very fortunate to research, uh, to interview many Japanese researchers, authors, and it's it's really an evidence based approach to to ikigai related to you know hobbies, to your work, to your relationships, and we can certainly learn a lot and appreciate Japanese culture. And I, I think one thing I always appreciate when I go back to Japan is how yeah, how present and polite and when you, you go anywhere you you feel served you feel acknowledged um, mm. but yeah underneath all that too there are problems that worry me and um, I, I think you've got to share the full picture to say you know there are Japanese who don't have ikigai and these are the problems they have mm. as well as you know this is why ikigai and other words, wabi-sabi and kintsugi come from this amazing culture because they have this history and this way of thinking and um, a mindset that's just totally unique. So it's mm-hmm. it's very inspiring. I'm very fascinated. <laughs> mm. yeah. I have a question on, um, sure. you know, I, I looked up bowing because, um, you know, I teach Chinese martial <laughs> arts, right? And... For, for us, I we bow at the beginning of every class and we bow at the end, right? And what I've taught the kids is we don't do it out of religious aspect because I know there's certain people who do it because it's a religious thing. But for us, um, when we bow in my Chinese Kung Fu school, we bow and we say, we, we make a promise. The first one is a promise, right? So we bow and we say, I'm a future black belt. The second one is we use three words, which I want kids to start to live by. So I'm trying to empower them. And it's, you know, um, respect, courtesy, and honor. And then the last bow is I want them to look at their family members or whoever even brought them to class. It could be an aunt, an uncle, it could be anybody. And so they bow to them and they say, and I say, you must look at their eyes and they say, thank you. So those are the three bows that we do. But I know in Japanese culture, there are so many different bows depending on who it is you're <laughs> greeting, right? Would you take a minute and, and, and maybe clarify that for us? Sure. I mean, bowing was, when I lived there, I, I'd become so accustomed to bowing myself. I remember when I returned to Australia, I, I had the habit of bowing. <laughs> and even... Even Japanese businessmen, when they're on the phone and they're talking to their boss or a customer, you, you'll see them just out of habit, sort of, hi, hi, what kind of stuff? And they'll be, they'll be bowing. So it is, you know, it, it has, it's, the, it's their way, obviously, of greetings. Right. Um, and among friends, it's, it's these shorter, more casual bows. I, I remember visiting a, a hotel and the way the staff bowed at me actually made me feel uncomfortable because I, I felt I was like, I'm not royalty. You, you don't have to. This, I'm, I'm from Australia, mate. So much care and, and, and skill and I, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, well, like, I wanted to go up and say, you don't have to bow to me like that because it, it sort of blew my mind. So... Mm. Obviously, in martial arts, there's there's bowing, but it is it's it's the way they greet, show respect. Um, I learned fairly recently that even when they exchange business cards, 
once hierarchy is established, so, you know, if I was giving my car to you, so I might lower it under yours to show that I'm recognizing you higher in my hierarchy mm. out of respect. And so there are these little subtleties that go unnoticed by foreigners because we just don't know, but are very yeah. important um, to doing things properly. It's another thing. Japanese do things properly. They have an expression for that called chantosuru. And so, yeah, there's a proper way to bow. There's a proper way to greet. And they also have something called kimari monk, which are set expressions. And so every day someone walks into the workplace, everyone says the same set expression when they enter mm. and when they leave. Um, and they're all very polite. And when I first went to Japan, you'd hear them so often, you almost think they're meaningless. Oh, you, you're just saying the same thing every day. But... Once you live there long enough, you realize how crucial and the role they play to maintain this, this harmony in work or in neighborhoods or in, in public in general. So We're I could go on. And <laughs> you know, really, I acknowledge you. You're not just the person that, that works a few desks next to me. I acknowledge you, and I think that's very beautiful, and I think that's what the world needs more. It to does knowledge each other and yeah. in in the u.s people come into work like oh i'm here and then they're leaving <laughs> like later you know yeah. that's that's not the right attitude right <laughs> no, i mean japanese literally say i acknowledge i'm leaving before you i mean it, it's it's normal for them so we, we kind of interpret as like oh it's it's very very formal mm. and then they have a set expression of otsukare sama desu otsukare means like otsukareru means tired otsukare sama desu literally means, oh, you must be tired, almost saying, mm. oh, I acknowledge the work you've done. Like, yeah. And mm. so it's um, even in really casual work settings where it's a cafe and a co-worker just might be relieved, you know, that, like, it's got a summer in a kind of friend fun way, mm. this, you know, but it, it makes life incredibly easy because you know what to say in every social situation almost. And for a learner, that was amazing because I thought, oh, all I've got to do is learn all these greetings for the home, for the work. And when I first went to Japan, I was working at a restaurant and then in restaurants, set expressions, you know, for orders, for acknowledging the customer. And so it's 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 almost a, a reset button, even if staff are stressed. Mm. You know, if staff are stressed in Australia or America, I assume you'd go in, you wouldn't even acknowledge each other. You'd, you'd be pissed mm. off. But in Japan, even if they're pissed off, they can go in say the set expression and that sort of almost resets them um oh, that's cool so that's fresh attitude fresh fresh experience fresh new day fresh intentions positivity let's mm. start this together again today harmony mm. and harmony yeah, yeah. yeah. i think that's right maybe we need mm. to move to japan everything that you've said are absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so up until now i'm sold so you, you know one of the things that that I've I've come to um, understand and um, just for me personally, I always do this is because I respect the time that we've had. Mm -hmm. And so for me, whenever I bow, it's it's my respect for the time that you've taken out of your day to share with me. So 
I know we're, we ran out of time, so I want to thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. I can't thank wait you. to get my signed book, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my postage will be cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> yes. True, true. Yeah, Mine will arrive before Christmas. Maybe not that fast. <laughs> I've got maybe, a few to send maybe. out. I've made quite a few promises. Um, just before <laughs> we go, I'll show you the, the stamp. I'll just make sure it's up the right way. So this was hand-carved in Japan. Nice. And it's 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 um it's mentioned in my book, and it's something I intend to use to authenticate documents or nice. to stamp on books I give to people. So wow, yeah, this is just one example of the incredible skill and mm. cultural significance of something called um, hanko, which is um, yeah this, this this stamp. So. Yeah, there's so much to learn from Japan and from the cultures in general. But thank Absolutely. you for being up so early, Raphael. It's like five five thirty now for you. So oh, he loves it. Well, you know, <laughs> it's easy for me. So for me, um, it, it's just it's a great way to start my day. And if I get to have Celeste in the morning, my gosh, it is beautiful. <laughs> because look, look how bright she is. Not yeah. not only her smile, Lovely. but her shirt. Right. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. We're looking at the universe. <laughs> Absolutely. So listen, thank you. I really, thank really do appreciate you being here. And everybody, we cannot wait for next week. What do we have planned for next week? I'm not telling you. Just be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enjoy, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.